Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Nautical Knowledge and Nonsense. This episode is an interview I did with an old shipmate of mine named Palayo. Palayo and I met on the world's largest Viking ship, the Draken, and got to do sea trials with her in Haugesund, Norway. We talk a lot about that. We also talk about his time on the ship when it was demasted and how he survived that, which is a pretty funny tale, believe it or not. Uh, we also talk about our time on Hawaiian Chieftain and how I dragged him out to the West Coast of the United States and what a wonderful experience that was. And just in general, we kind of talk about the, the difference between boat people, non-boat people, what it's like, and get a little f philosophical. Anyway, I hope you folks enjoy it. Palayo is one of the most delightful, intelligent, wonderful human beings you will ever meet and a really, just a wonderful old shipmate. And it's a really good interview. Uh, here we go with an interview with my old Viking shipmate, Palayo. It'll be good to get caught up. What have you been up to? Yeah, it's been too long, man. Uh, <laughs> well, I think the last time we saw each other was in the U.S., right? Yeah. yeah, I came, I was visiting, I was on the East Coast and uh, just w happened to be visiting where the Draken was and, and there you were. Yeah, uh, that was good. Um, still a few years away. <laughs> yeah. In between. Yeah, it's so, been a few years. Yeah, I am at the moment, I am in Bergen in Norway still, where it's my base. So, uh, so much that I've actually done the paperwork to become a citizen of Norway. So that's pretty exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, well, it's still on the queue and all that. It takes longer since the corona times. Everything's kind of slow. But, yeah, so dual citizenship. That's European, Spanish, and Norwegian. And then otherwise, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still sailing on Draken when it sails. Well, we haven't, we haven't sailed since that season where we met, actually. But we've been doing some maintenance earlier in this year. We were in the U.S. in May, all of May. Actually, quite a lot of the the crew from last time. Otherwise, in Bergen, I do I'm freelance rigging a little bit for myself. But to be honest, I'm kind of facing that away because the weather is so terrible here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be there on Wednesday, uh, and then Wednesday comes around and it's just horizontal rain nonstop. Well, don't worry. Once you get your Norwegian citizenship, I'm sure it'll be just fine. You'll just be like, oh, rain, uh, whatever. Oh, wind, you know, glaciers <laughs> falling on me. I don't care. Like, <laughs> Honestly, I am uh, – the weather doesn't bother me so much um, that way, uh, doing plans and being out there. But working, working uh, aloft in, in boats, it's not, it's not like ships, right? It's a, it's a little different. It's a wire rigging and you're, you're often alone. Um, yeah, it's just annoying work, and then the rain on top and the wind. Yeah, but and I, to be honest, I'm quite used to the weather. Like most Norwegians think that I wear too few clothes. Really? Oh wow, that's saying a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I always always love the Norwegian expressions. With uh, my favorite ones were, uh, yeah, the weather's fine. You just dressed wrong, and then and then one of them was like. Not it was, it was like no such thing as bad weather only bad clothes there we go yeah and yeah. then it was uh there's it's not a meal if there's no meat <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> but the the yeah. best one by far the best norwegian expression was thank god for the water otherwise we'd have to carry the boats 
<laughs> Just pretty much sums up the mentality. It's kind of ironic, considering that the, the Viking a part of the a Viking success uh, was that they actually did carry boats over land. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That it. <laughs> the Swedish the Swedish Vikings uh, is called them like that in the in the eastern Eastern Europe mostly. Yeah. <laughs> well, we should tell we should tell people how we we met. So so I met you when when we were on the Draken. Which is the world's arguably the world's largest Viking ship ever, because I, I do recall one of the boat builders <laughs> sitting there telling me like, I don't think they actually made them this big, <laughs> but uh, or, or maybe it was an archaeologist. I can't remember. We had some experts there, but uh, but yeah. So we we met on the the world's largest Viking ship, which is Draken's like a hundred feet long and twenty four feet wide. It's a hundred and fifteen feet long. Hundred and fifteen one one five. Yes. So 35 meters. Wow. It's seven and a half meters long, and that's, yeah, 24, 25 feet. 25 feet wide. Jeez. Wide, yeah. And it's the uh, widest. Yeah, big big Viking ship, and we met in Haugesund, Norway, which is really cool. And I was actually rereading my old journal, and, man, I was uh, I was thrilled. <laughs> that, was, that, was a strange, that was a strange summer. It almost feels... And looking a little bit, a little bit with nostalgia, of course. But looking back, it, it doesn't feel real. Yeah. Those few months where we went there to to train slash work, it feels yeah, completely out of this world. We got hired in this crew, and we were like what thirty something people from all over the world, getting paid quite decently as well uh, to be there and to train and to learn the ship that they had been building for two years. When we got there, the ship was, it was finished, but it definitely needed some more tuning. There were pieces that were still attaching and they were still trying to figure out how to do a lot on the boat itself. And I, I mean, this process wouldn't stop. It hasn't even stopped yet. We're still trying to figure this boat out. But yeah, so they, they, they hired us to sit around waiting until the boat builders said, okay, now you go out for a few hours and try and test the boat, which was fantastic and very exciting. But in between, it meant we had a lot of free time. There were like 30-something people, sailors from all around the world <laughs> with a, like a lot of wood and a lot of free time in this wonderful Norwegian summer. Nothing like the one we're having right now, actually. It's rain. But that one was the sun. Yeah. And then we, we, went, we were like pretty much camping on this little island in front of Haugesund and making bonfires uh, in the night, as much night as we get here in the summer, of course, and then swimming and making saunas and making uh, jumping platforms into the water, fishing, <laughs> and then sailing with the little, there were three little boats, Urtskul and Veranda, that were Viking boats, uh, that were kind of replicas uh, or rather prototypes for Draken. One of them was based on a very archaeological shape, another one based on a very traditional boat building shape, and the other one was a bit of a mix. And that's the one that Draken took its shape from because Draken is not a straight replica, right? It's not a it's not modeled after any single ship. So it's a bit of an amalgam of ideas and concepts. You've got the archaeological side of things or from the ships that they've uncovered in, in Oslo and other places uh, in Norway. Well, they have them in Oslo, the Gokstad and the Usuberg. What we know from them, the trouble is that when they assemble them, it's like when they assemble the dinosaurs, right? 
the, the mm -hmm. first iguanodons that they assembled look nothing at all to how they see them now. It's a bit like that, you know, they found the boats under a hill and they had to excavate them and then put them together. So what happened is that they built the boat like the one they had in the museum and when they put it in the water, it sank because the people that assembled it weren't boat builders or weren't having some things in consideration. So, yeah, that's the archaeological part and what we know. And then there is the, the saga part, the bit the mystical part of it all where we know from, from the sagas, which are the what little writing we have from the from the Norse North times comes actually a little bit later than the Viking times, but they relate what happened during the Viking times and they're written in this magnificent prose or poem, depends which one is which, and it describes these crazy adventures that they were having and truly family tree family tree feuds between um, yeah, between countries and families and warriors and, and sailors. It's bizarre and there's a lot of fantasy in it and a lot of exaggeration. So for many years people thought they were just I mean until very recently people thought that they were complete invention, for example. It mentions if I am talking way too much, Johan, you can tell Oh no, no this is great. My my problem is when I interrupt or if I start laughing and stuff, I'm gonna completely over overwhelm your audio and it's just I won't be able to oh, okay. tweak it. So I'm I'm like holding back. I'm just like ah! okay. Okay. <laughs> like the whole the whole time I'm trying not to laugh right now, Falao. Like, like, oh yeah. And then it's sank because you know they were boat builders. It's like <laughs> I mean, but this this fantasy, and, and I, I remember it was a massive thing for like Christian Vela, the mechanic, and one of the people that taught us a little bit at the beginning how the square sail, the Viking square sail, uh, was supposed to to work. Uh, he was he he was at the time late fifties, late sixties, uh, because for him he had grown up with this idea that the sagas were pure fiction. And then come the archaeologists around and they discover that the Vikings actually made it to the North American continent. And there's archaeological proof of it. And this, this, so was, now, this is one of the, the Draken sailors? I, I'm trying to remember. You remember Christian? Yeah. I mean, I'm, the mechanic. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, one of the kind of souls I know. And he was with us in the Crossing as well. Oh, wow. Very uh, One of these stoic Norwegians. You know, you get these Norwegians that will put through anything and everything, will never say, uh, never look like they're having a bad time, never say anything out of, uh, in a bad tone, super polite, and yeah, they didn't realize that they're going through a, a, a lot of, uh, <laughs> they, can, they can have like a broken foot and they, they won't tell you because they don't want to inconvenience you. They can deal with that. Yeah, he's kind of like that. Um, but he was very excited because yeah, when he was a kid, all of this was fantasy and now, well, there was a grain of truth in it, and the more they look into it, the more we find that there's uh, actually a lot in the sagas that we can look at and say, actually, that's that's completely what they were doing. They're actually relating information and their ecological, ecological studies are corroborating that that's how they actually did things. So there's a document that describes, not so much the saga, it's a different document that describes how many ships each county in Norway in the Viking times had to provide per year. So the county of Rugaland, where is Haugesund, where it was built, has to have so many of this ship and so many of that other ship, and it has to be this long. And the way it's measured is by the space that a rower needs 
hmm. from where it's sitting to the to his knees and the space that he needs to pull and push the oar. And that's given as a sessa. So Draken is a 25 sessa boat. And that its sessa is like 60 centimeters or something like that. So, and they're talking about ships that are actually bigger than Draken. Oh, wow. Like Mulang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Mulang of the Sagas, and they're talking about that they routinely made ships that were as big as Draken. They're not the most common ones. But you think about it, before they, they had the villagers, uh, making these ships was just part of life, and there was a constant process through the day. And a lot of the reasons we haven't gotten much left from the ships is because they would reuse them or use them as uh, roofs and houses and just repurpose it because it's just very thin wood and after a few years they would just recycle them yeah or lose them at sea so we know that that they had the 25 cesar ship and several of them so draken is based on that measurement as well so it's not complete fiction and then there's the third variant of where draken comes from and that is the living tradition of boat building, which is Norway, has still managed to hold on to a lot of uh, tradition in boat building. And when they were making Draken, some of the old masters that were still alive, and uh, they, they could, a lot of the traditions have been maintained in the small villages. And they could, uh, a lot of the people that made Draken had learned them and actually could. They, and it's, an, it's a design that hasn't evolved so much through the years. If you're looking at it, it's almost it's more than a thousand years ago. Um, they were such magnificent ships that it hasn't changed that much, the basics. Wow. Of course, if you go into it, probably more. Yeah. But so it's those three things, right? The archaeological, the saga, the myth, but with a truth and an understanding that there's a lot of information to be plucked there. And the living tradition. And there's the fourth complement, the fourth part that I haven't talked about is what we really don't know, because that is a lot. We don't have surviving rigging. We don't have. We don't We don't know how to do anything or how they actually did something. So there is a lot of extrapolation and uh, guesswork. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As you will. Well, hopefully, hopefully someday. I mean, you know, luckily the the water's so cold up there. Hopefully someday we can still find some. Rigging or some, some, I don't know, more clues, right? It's all about clues. But absolutely. But yeah, that's one of the things that that amazed me uh, joining the Draken crew is was just how knowledge, like how much knowledge there was there, and and I'll never forget it. It was best illustrated when we had an American, like like a two two fellows from America that were like producers for some network. I, I forget what. <laughs> oh, I don't remember this. And it was oh my gosh, and and the and, and they were so nice, and they really they really meant well, but but I just remember the the fellow you know the head fellow coming up and he said you know in front of all of us in front of all the the Vikings we were at uh, was it Christian maybe we're at Christian's house now I can't remember anyway we were all in a, a room close together yeah it was it was actually a very very American uh, you could I can imagine him at the playing cards of Vegas or something. <laughs> uh, was actually, the, the cameraman was a very humble guy that had filmed all over the world, like Antarctica series, or uh, not Blue Planet, but the, the Ice One, stuff like that. So he was a really... And, and he was British? Yeah, talent. yeah and he was kind of <laughs> kind of humble, easy to talk to, and very knowledgeable. Yeah. But, but yeah, so the, the American... Okay, so it's so funny because he... He came in and the very first thing he said was like, 
oh yeah, me and my my buddy here, we we went on the plane ride and we we on the way over we read everything there is to know about Vikings and just you know meaning it like in a joking kind of way, but just, it was just dead silence in the room and like he is in the room with probably the most Viking knowledge you could ever have in the world in all in one place literally <laughs> like people have dedicated their lives to studying the sagas to learning about these boats to archaeology to history all the stuff. And then, and then it was uh, oh my god, it was Espen, who Espen is uncharacteristically like like he's just a funny guy, but for a Dane, he's just really sarcastic, oh, <laughs> and yeah, which is, yeah, yeah. and it's so funny. And he just so Espen kind of just says, you know, nods his head and said, "Wow, you must have read a lot." <laughs> Everybody, everybody started laughing, and unfortunately for the fellow, it was a bit of an uphill battle after that, which is it's just wow, too bad. But, he had this idea of what he wanted to film, right? And, oh, oh yeah, no, I, I remember. Yeah, we were sitting there and we we're like, oh yeah, we're not going out today because it's gonna. It, I think it was blowing like a proper gale. I mean, it was a, a lot of wind, <laughs> you know, like yeah. fifty knots of wind or something, maybe even more than a gale. And and he's like, well, why, why not? We should go. We should go out there. It's <laughs> just like just hoping yeah, to have some catastrophe that he could videotape. But it's very, it's, it's quite funny when all this um yeah he had this idea of what he wanted to film this viking thing right and his idea of what it's viking it's it, it, it shows what americanization of the vikings uh how it is because he wanted to show this but as always the scandinavians were just having none of it yeah because for them it's a very different thing right it, it, and actually it's a little bit showcased by the movie the northman that just came out which is a very violent movie and it's supposed to show a lot of properly traditional stuff uh, well we went to see it in in may with the crew of the dragon which is um we had a lot of volunteers from the u.s uh this year of course because we are now in the u.s mm -hmm. the ship is there but we also had a lot of we had the danish boat builders and uh, the crew which is a uh, swedish uh, Nor norwegian although i was probably the most norwegian there this time but yeah at, uh kesu who is estonian and they, yeah, no Scandinavian really liked it very much because it's uh, selling the idea of a Viking thing that is not how they see it, right? They, yeah. It's part of their culture. It's so different, yeah. So it's it's a difficult topic. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Well, I mean, it's totally different when you you send you know you send off your 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 young warrior men that are probably they, I mean, they, my understanding of it, the first Viking raiders, it was kind of like these were the not the rejects, that's the wrong word, but they definitely weren't like part of the mainstream society, it seems. Like they were they were out to for glory because they couldn't get it at home, is my understanding. Well, yeah, and correct me if I'm yeah, wrong. Re no, I mean that that is a strong a big part of the people that were doing the, the raids and eventually the armies that would um, that would go into the U into Great Britain and into the rest of Europe. At the beginning it was just opportunistic raids. Yeah. Probably by people like you describe, and slowly when they're the sea, they notice that they can probably go and take more and even take some land for themselves and establish. Then, then it starts to change what kind of people goes. But uh, yeah, the life back home pretty much stood, was the same, and it continued. Well, not as normal. You still had Vikings fighting massive sea battles and uh, with the fleets of ships uh, to control of Norway or Denmark all this stuff so yeah. it wasn't yeah they were there. but life in the in Scandinavia was probably quite similar like to other places 
Yeah. Well, that doesn't make for good film, does it? <laughs> I mean, I love parts of it. Uh, no, I'm sure, I'm sure it's, it's very interesting in its own way. Um, so actually, when when we were when we were there, I had the the opportunity to film Dragon Underwater. Yes, that was so cool. Yeah, hundred people. The the Dragon took a hundred rowers out. A hundred people, because the Dragon has to be rowed with a hundred people. Twenty-five oars per side, two per person, two person per oar. So that's yeah, fifty oars, a hundred people. And I took uh, some cameras and GoPros, and I set them down in the water, and I waited for the Dragon to row above me. Unfortunately, the water was a little murky, but I will never forget that experience of hearing the 50 oars just break into the water, this lapping sound at the beginning, very distant, coming closer and closer, like a until this thundering, I can't hear anything else, even before I've seen it. And it's this massive shape, like a whale, coming out, contrasting with the, with the sun above. Uh, yeah, and casting shadow. It was it was amazing, and I thought there's not many people that have actually seen that and probably survived because uh, <laughs> there probably is somebody who's died in the sea battle, fell off the of the boat, and is looking up as they drown. Yeah, no, that was wild. Wow. And then I remember you because we you showed us the video, and of course the audio. There's no way it could do yeah. what you experienced justice, but then. Right after the boat passed overhead, you let out your air because <laughs> you've been holding your breath, and then all this, yeah. these air bubbles went up. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I had to hold my breath so that I wouldn't have bubbles going in the video. Moment. Yeah, and I do yeah, wonder. Man. Part of me, I I can't remember. I feel like I wrote to like the because they had the Viking the series, the Vikings that was coming out. Yeah. I feel like I wrote to them and said, you guys should put the ship. I, I, but maybe I didn't. I, I'm trying to remember. I, I feel like I went back and looked at the dates, and it didn't match up with the the intro that they ultimately used. But in the intro to the Vikings series, you do see the boat from underneath. And so part of me was yeah. like, did I actually give them that idea? I I, I meant to. I, I definitely <laughs> I definitely meant to. But I but then I feel like I looked it up one time, and the the email I sent didn't match up with the, the it had already come out. But I could be wrong. I don't know. Dates are. They get jumbled after a few years. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to revisit that uh, that shot and get, actually get a proper shot of that. Of course, you need clear waters. Yeah, yeah. But they make it look good in the CGI with the or like with the other boats and a little bit of uh, post production. It's all well, right. Well, and just the <laughs> and the other thing, like the flexing of the oars. I mean, that's something that most people don't realize. Like the wooden oars bend, you know. So it's, oh, yeah. it's just surreal to kind of watch from a different angle. You're just like, wow. Yeah. Well, I've actually got a little bit into making oars the last winter with Corona. No need. Or some small, small boats, and they make them out of wood that is not hard. They make it out of the outside almost of the of the tree. So you're not supposed to use very stiff wood. You need to use wood that bends. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean, that's true because I, I remember – yeah, I, I've told the tale already, but uh, snapping – I snapped the oar on the, the sea stallion. <laughs> oh, wow. Because, <laughs> well, they, they – no, the the other two people I was rowing with, they weren't rowing as hard as the people thought they should, and so yeah. they kept yelling at us to row harder. And I was just like, I am rowing, I'm rowing as hard as I can. Like I was literally, I couldn't do more without changing my form. 
you know, it, it was like, you know, so, so I just, I, I was like, fine, screw it. So I just dug in the ore really quickly, which you're not supposed to do and snapped it because yeah. uh, yeah. I just put too much pressure on the ore. It's more of a, it's more of a, you dig in and then give it a long, it, it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you pull the cord on a, like a lawnmower or something, you know, you're not supposed to just, just jerk it. Like you're punching somebody. It's more like, well, even when you're punching somebody, it's supposed to be an acceleration and then a pop right at the end. But it's my understanding yeah, of it. I haven't punched anybody wait, in a wait, long Were time. you trying to – why were you rowing so much? Were you trying to get somewhere? Was there like pressure if, to get somewhere or – It's been a long time, so my memory might be off. What I remember well, is also, – Also, memory in um, strangest situations is never – it's very common to forget things. <laughs> yeah, well, we well, I, what I do remember is there were three of us. We were on the starboard side of the ship, on the bow, because I was stationed yeah. on the bow. And so my guess would, and some a lot of times too, you're just kind of following orders. So they're like, you need to row now. I'm like I'm rowing. All right, you need to move here. Like I'm moving here, <laughs> you know. So so I was just like a deckhand. I was like, yes, sir, follow order, follow. Order. So so they had us row. So pro, I'm guessing we were just there to get the bow through the wind. But I don't understand – and it could have been – we were probably in a channel. I, I don't know. I don't remember that part for sure. But it was just probably to get the bow through the wind or maybe tacking the boat or something. We were trying to stabilize that, the bow. Was that common? Pardon? Was that common with Hatherston to, to get the bow through past the wind with oars? We no, no, it wasn't common, which is why you know, it was unusual to have somebody rowing. Like the, a lot of people have this misconception of Viking ships where like, oh, they couldn't tack or they, you know, it's like that's not true. Like I was on it. Like we tacked all the time, uh, yeah, made a lot of leeway. If you're a Viking ship, then your balance is off, and you gotta put your mass forward, your ballast a little bit different. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but, but they could definitely tack for sure, and and so, but but I, you know, if it was light winds and we didn't have enough momentum to carry it through, I could, you know, that that'd be a situation because it's not like you have a, you know, it's not like a square rigger or something where you got a big sail in the back that you can use as a, a weather vane that helps you come through the bow. Like it, it, they didn't have that necessarily. So, so yeah, you got oars, might as well use them. You know, to yeah. get get through a light wind. Uh, but you know, but again, oh. Uh, sorry, I, again, I don't remember if that was the exact situation. Yeah, yeah, because uh, it's, it's interesting because when we did the 2016 crossing, we uh, they made us commission a sail for the like a storm sail, um, like a foresail, like a Genoa, like a yacht sail for the bow. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah, and we actually tried it once on, on harbor. We really put it on the on the fourth day, and it just looked it looks so stupid. Of course, it's a white, it's a white sail on the on the Viking ship, and it's like, oh, this is in case it's a storm or such. Never have we ever unpacked that sail. Draken does fantastically in the craziest of weathers and the heaviest of seas, and she's maneuverable and she sails, and there's not, absolutely no reason to put this kind of sails on on a on a square on a square sail single mast square sail so yeah that dispels a lot of the yeah miss uh, a lot of the rumors about how unmaneuverable they can be yeah i think well and though and and you but but you were on the draken i mean talking about sailing crazy weather and all that you were there when the mast snapped and it, yeah, it went by was, the wayside uh, i was there but also i sort of wasn't uh, have you have you heard the story? I uh, it's been a 
if you told me, I don't think we had a lot of time to talk about it because I, I feel like we were at a cafe and, but, uh, yeah, yeah. but I mean, the crazy part to me, because, you know, going back to when we met with Draken, like I remember the, all the boat builders stuff, they were looking at that mast and looking at the sail and when it was sailing and they're like, it's too big. This is just, so they actually had reduced the height of the mast. They had reduced the, the, you know, the size of the sail already, and yeah. already. So it, it was even bigger before. And despite that, yeah. Well, I you tell the story. Having, I mean, let I me. I remember having a conversation with Espen, who you mentioned, who was also an engineer. Okay. <laughs> and we were <laughs> looking at the mast, and we was like, "This is not right. It's it's bending too much." Yeah. And then everybody was looking at if you looked at the base of the mast and up, it was just bending so much. Uh, I mean, he had concerns as well for the bending of the ship, which it really would come later on where they actually reinforced the ship because it was bending wow. too much. So he he, uh, he was right on the money there. And for the mast, again, right? We were looking at the mast and it was bending way too much. And yeah, sometime we were leaving to, to Liverpool, 2014. We left Haugesund and for two days we were in the North Sea trying to get to Shetland. And we were just, I don't know. These are the, the Shetland Islands. Yeah, Shetland Islands in the north of Scotland, I should remember. <laughs> and we're maybe like half a day away, maybe a bit more, but we can't get there. We just, we're just we just tacking north, tacking south, tacking north, tacking south. We have to get west, and just the weather's not cooperating. And uh, everybody's getting seasick. Well, a lot of people are getting seasick that are new to boats. and But it's all right until uh, one one day, on the second day. And it's, you know, when you see the videos, you'll say, oh, we, this happened on a great storm. It really did not. There was fair weather, maybe 30 knots or something, which is something completely normal for, for Draken. So we had a few rifts in, and the yard was maybe halfway down. You said 30 knots, 3-0. Yeah. Okay. 3-0 knots. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, it's nice. That's kind of nice with Draken. Yeah, it's not a gale, but it's, yeah. No, it's. It's hard enough that you need to have several reefs on. You're not you're not yeah. doing more than a half sail, for sure. And the yacht is very low, so it's in between the, the base of the boat where the rigging goes to the top. So it's making this crazy flexing on on, on, on the mast. And yeah, the mast just broke. Yeah, and it broke about 15 meters up. The mast is 25 meters. That's 70-something feet, uh, 80 feet. So it broke two-thirds of the way up. The rigging in the top of the mast went to port side, uh, well, fell off the boat to port side, clearing completely. So all the rigging was on the boat is still attached. And then the lower portion of the mast, the bigger part, the two thirds, which is the trunk, shot out from the boat. It <laughs> sprung up. Essentially, the boat, if you think about it, the rigging and the mast and the boat, like a triangle and the mast is like an arrow and the boat is a bow with a bowstring and that's what happened you let the bowstring uh, go by mistake and the arrow goes the opposite way around the boat pushed the mast up several meters it cleared the deck and it went several meters to starboard miraculously because if that thing had just fallen on top of the boat it would have been a very different story and uh, yeah might not be here now. Oh my anyway, God. I cleared it. So, <laughs> and, uh, and 
the cameraman always uh, resents that he did not have his camera up at that moment. He had just taken it down to change the batteries. Oh, of course, <laughs> yeah, of course. Oh my gosh. He regret that the rest of his life. Yeah, so, so nobody really got hurt. A uh, little bit of the rigging bruised some people, but that was all. A 25-meter mass that weighs like a ton and a half by itself. Just nothing. However, the yard fell straight down. There's nothing to support it anymore, right? It just fell straight down. And they just happened to have fallen uh, where I was. So they noticed that when on a boat, probably Johan has spoken to this at length, there is the master. right? The master on a boat serves many purposes. It serves the purpose of uh, gathering in the morning, uh, counting how many people we are, and information from the captain, information from the officer, that's the master morning master, night master, all of that. But it also serves a very important function of when there's an emergency and you need to know who is there, you call a master, you see if somebody's missing. And if they're missing, you you always have sort of a buddy to your right and to your left, you know who stands there with you. And if they're missing, you say, this person is missing. Imagine a ship that is several hundred people. Well, they, that's how they can know. So they did a master, Bjorn called the master, and there was only one person missing, and that was me. Oh, and Bjorn's the captain. Bjorn is the Bjorn Alander is the captain, yeah. and he now tells me that he had pretty much written me off at that point. It's like, well, okay, Pelagio's dead, <laughs> and he sent Marius, who was the watch leader at that point. Yeah, well, Marius kind of volunteered himself to go to the bow and uh, have a look, and because the yard that weighs about two tons with the sail and the yard itself had just fallen down, straight down onto the dragon. And not not killed anybody. That well, now now we know. <laughs> but he went and he couldn't find me at all until he knocked on the heads because the dragon, the heads are actually under decks. The only place where you can be alone on dragon is on the heads of the toilets. And we actually have this big boat enough that you can. There actually has a toilet built in. So uh, yeah, that's where I was. I had just walked to the middle of the ship, opened the toilet going down, closed the hatch, sat down, and the moment that happens, I hear a thunk. I'm just like, okay, what's going on? I just wait a few minutes, I try to open the hatch, and I only see red, because the sail is red, so the whole sail is yards on top of me, so I can't get out. But after a while, I hear the knock, and Mario's, hey, are you there? I'm like, yep, I'm here. He opens a little bit, and I, we can see eye to eye, and he goes, oh, okay, uh, you want to finish down there? I'm like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> gonna take a while to get the sail off like, yeah okay and then, <laughs> as a matter of fact you remember marius it was very dry uh, <laughs> all about duty but very dry and uh, he goes back and reports that i am okay so uh, yeah that was interesting uh, it was a lot of work to get the the top part of the mast with the rigging to get it on board because i mean that's a lot of the times at sea when we know that a lot of ships sank that way, right? When they're demasted and they couldn't cut away the mast, it would become like a like a sheet ram. And it would ram the ship with a with a water and it would make a hole into the boat. Oh wow. And they would sink. So that usually when you see these films and they're they're cutting away the rigging of the mast that has fallen or something like that, they're trying to get away from this ram that is going to make a hole on, on, on their boat with the waves. <laughs> but we managed to get the piece and so save the rigging as well. Get to Shetland and then find the new mast, which our boat builders did 
They made a few uh, mass in a few weeks. We returned, and we sailed back to Norway. And so Draken proved that he was actually a very good ship. And the mass was, like you said, it was even shorter. It was a different species of tree, the Douglas fir, which is American, but uh, yeah. it was it fits better. It's a stronger tree, a different shape as well. A lot of Draken's earlier designs really speak about people that were used to making small boats. Yeah. I feel, and I feel still. And they made the, then this boat that is several times bigger than anything they've made before. And they just scaled everything one-to-one. But that's not quite how forces work. Yeah. Sometimes it's a little bit... Uh, um, how do you well, call it? Uh, yeah. Squared, almost. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely things on boats can... Yeah, it can get exponentially more. You get exponentially exactly. more force. Exactly. Yeah, you think, oh, I, I need double the strength. You you need three times the strength. Uh, yeah, the, it's like uh, Andre the Giant weighs. Well, I don't weigh two fifty, but like, like uh, I, I don't know, like one of those wrestlers who weighs twice as much as I do. Like they're they're yeah. not they're more than twice as strong as I am. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, <laughs> like those are pretty. As, they're also not twice as tall as you, but they weigh. Or at least in D and D, in role playing, it's very well put. When you increase your size to large or something, but yeah. you weigh like four times more or something like that. It's like it's not linear. Yeah, and that's the whole point. <laughs> and that's also it kept happening, right? Three years. I mean, we had no pulleys on board on Draken. Yeah, you remember the boardings, the bunt lines. We almost crashed into Bergen one night because we couldn't get the sail up because the bunt lines went through hard blocks. Okay. Pulleys. They were just. We were bleeding on the hands trying to, to get the sail up until eventually they installed pulleys. And I asked, why didn't you put pulleys on a Viking ship? And they would go, because we haven't found them. What are you talking about? You have okay. You haven't found them with the rigging. Yeah. But it was it, years later than than when Draken was supposed to be uh, Viking ships were were sailing. Hundred hundred fifty years later. They started building the Cathedral of Nidaros in Trondheim, which is massive. You're telling me they didn't have pulleys to build a granite <laughs> cathedral that has, I don't know how many meters and these massive stones and people that had sailed all across uh, to, towards the Mediterranean that we know and had, uh, they had been doing raids there, had served as uh, mercenaries there. You're telling me nobody's brought back a pulley? I, you know, sometimes you need to have your imagination inform your choices a bit more well and, and you also have to have just the the condition you know like if you're on a viking ship with 150 grown men like yeah, yeah you can you can put 100 people on something yeah and it, that object will move if you put in this bearded meaty dudes behind like 100 <laughs> behind the line something's gonna move for sure oh yeah especially if they got beards i mean that's yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes all the difference <laughs> <laughs> that's, why I, that's why I have a beard now. You know, it's uh, very different. Like, yeah, you, you kind of remind me of uh, that actor. What's his name? I think it's Oscar Isaac. You ever seen the movie oh, yeah, yeah. Ex Machina? Yeah. Yeah, you kind of yeah, got like the the evil genius vibe going, but like well, like like modern uh, modern <laughs> modern <laughs> evil genius vibe. Absolutely, <laughs> I love it. I'm sure. I'm sure you're making Dungeons and Dragons uh, robots and stuff in your your den yeah. when you're not doing dragon. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, when you have a crew, Dragons uh, games usually have a lot of nautical themes. I wonder why. I wonder why. Yeah, and you're probably really, really good at it. I I, I played a, a nautical. 
like a pirate themed D and D game one time. And I mean, I held my tongue and I like, I didn't say a whole lot, but at one point, one of the people, they said, uh, oh, I'm just going to go sleep in, in my bed or something. But it was like, yeah. they were describing a bed that could move, you know? And oh, yeah. I was just like, but it's a boat. <laughs> like you can't have a bed that moves. Like that's not how it works. So, <laughs> should, I just couldn't, I couldn't hold it in any longer. Like, it's a boat. <laughs> so there's very few people that's pedantic and worried about tradition as a uh, sailors. Oh, especially yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tall ship sailors and Viking sailors. Forget <laughs> it. Yeah. You know, don't, don't want to, don't want to watch a movie with them. Oh, you're just ruined it. <laughs> At but, some point, my girlfriend is like, I don't, I don't, I don't care. We're gonna watch black sails, and we, I don't care what color the ropes are. I don't care uh, how they're doing things. I just want to enjoy it. Thank you very much. They're like, okay, and actually, it's helped me a lot as well. Oh, that's good. that's good. But yeah, but back to the Draken. So yeah, when you have a smaller crew. And you you don't have enough people you can throw on the the line, then yeah, you got it. You just have to do what you have to do. But there was a couple things like I remember one one I called and I got to see the the results of them them not you know it was they had a little thumb cleat so on the bow of the ship they had a capstan and it was for the the bowline for the the rope that pulls out the the front of you know the the, the side right. of the sail and helps it point into the wind better and. This bowl and you they they put it on this capstan and start cranking it around and they'd attached it to this little thumb cleat and I'm just like oh man I mean that that yeah, little yeah, yeah. I wasn't even a thumb cleat it was like a I don't even know what you would call it it was it was like a Norwegian oh. design thing it was like a spike almost uh, but it was definitely like a, a bl- mini belay pin almost but I'm just like you guys are putting way too much pressure on that it's gonna break like there's there's just you cannot put that much pressure on it, not from a capstan with you know two or three people walking around in a circle. And sure enough, it did break. And luckily, it hit – I forget his name now, the nicest fellow. He was this big, young Norwegian kid. I mean I, – I, Oh, Ula. Olaf. Yeah, it was Olaf. Yeah. Ula, who is a boat builder. Oh, he made me a fit. He made me this gorgeous fit. I still have yeah, it. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. But Olaf – so, so uh, luckily, Olaf was the one that got hit because he, he's this – you know, probably 250 pound, thick boned. Yeah. Thankfully, it was him. Yeah. You know, young person, so his bones aren't aren't as brittle. And I swear, anybody else, they would have broken their hand or or thumb or wrist or something when when it hit. But uh, luckily, it hit him in the hand, not anywhere else where you know he could have been seriously injured, and it just bruised him. Didn't didn't break it. But man, anybody yeah. Else, uh, broken hands for sure. He had a, he had massive hands. Yeah, and I I mentioned it. And, well, we had talked about it a little bit because you know I hate you, you never want to be that person that's just constantly criticizing the leadership or constantly criticizing how things are done. Like that that's that's really annoying as a leader. It just gets it gets to the point where it's like just stop. Like you, you know, yeah. especially people when you do change things and make them better, when those people don't show gratitude for it or don't show like oh hey this is really great. That's even more just like oh, it just really lowers one's morale. But yeah. but for but I do recall we we chatted a bit and I I think we you know I kind of told you what what you were telling me which is yeah they're 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 trying to do stuff the way you do it on a smaller boat and I get it like two nor you know two or three Norwegians on a small fishing ship you don't need to communicate I mean you're communicating constantly you know you don't need to talk you don't need to. To have organization necessarily because everybody knows their job. But when you start getting into bigger ships where like you – I mean even to hear from a distance in a gale, like you need to relay. So you already have to have stuff in place so that people on the bow can hear you from the stern. 
you know, in, in really, really heavy winds. And so, I remember you, you were saying such things when we were there and, and they were treating you and what you were saying like heresy. Yeah. This is, <laughs> well, what I, is this? Is it because you're American? They would say, you know, uh, no. <laughs> all these purists, they were very, they're very purist about their... Well, well, and I sailed on the sea time, but I guess, yeah, I, I can, I can come across as a bit too, like, rah, rah, no, no, this, no, this I, is, I mean, you know. uh, the, the opposite, like, uh, I'm actually saying that you were making a lot of sense. No. Oh. You're saying, listen, guys, there are systems for this that we're trying to do and struggling with. And everybody was like, no, no, they're there because I guess in Draken, especially at the beginning, there were like two types of culture. There was the Danish Roskilde and the Sea Stallion one. Yeah. With, uh, so somehow veterans in their own special way more like most Danish are special <laughs> and um, <laughs> well, I say it with love and then the, the people that have been sailing in Norway in the little boat in the north in Fusen um, which is a school that teaches how to sail and actually farm and other traditional things it's beautiful but they're very purist right they have this this version that is very conservative about how you're supposed to sail it and it's thanks to that kind of stuff that we still know how they were sailing hundreds of years ago because that has survived in that form but you're trying to apply it to a big ship and you were saying uh why don't we just use what we use in tall ships people are like this is not a tall ship this is a this is a boat and we have our traditions and they're like that and you're like okay okay and uh, there were a lot of uh, growing pains yeah well and I, and I wasn't talking about putting in the technology of the tall ship that's not what i was talking about but oh, it was no. more it was more just the organization because it worked on draken you know, we did we did have a pretty pretty strict organization. Not strict. That's the wrong word. But it was clear. You know, the organization on the 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 Draken, I'm sorry, on the Sea Stallion. It was the Sea Stallion. On oh, the Sea Stallion, yeah. I was, yeah. I was like, man, I, it was nothing clear. <laughs> no, nothing was clear. Yeah. So on the Sea Stallion, it was very clear. Like this is yeah. This this is your spot on the ship. This is where you you will learn the tasks of this part of the ship and. And then, and so, and then you had a leader, you had a leader for your part of the ship and they reported to, you know, and then you had a relay in the middle of the ship that could relay stuff back. And then you definitely had a clear officer core um, that was directing everything that had the bigger picture. So, which, and it, it did remind me more of tall ships, but uh, I think that's how, cause I convinced you to come join me on the Hawaiian chieftain on, oh, the, on the West coast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you're like, listen, if you like this. Uh, <laughs> come with me, <laughs> and that opened a whole other can of worms in my life. No, oh, I hope I well, and it, I hope it was for the best. I think it was absolutely. I, I'm certainly <laughs> thankful to you for for um, inviting me over and and being really, yeah, really, really kind to me when I was there and uh, teaching well, me so much. Well, I just, I, was, I just, I was new to ships. I had sailed. A lot before, but I come from, I came from a yachting background originally, right? And, uh, and you're on, you were on Mallorca? Is that where you grew up? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Mallorca, yachts, and I mean, I've crossed the Atlantic before on little boats and such, but I've, I've never been part of a big crew and that feeling, and the, the whole sea family thing is uh, was new to me. And yeah, that opened a massive aspect of my life that I very much dedicate a lot of my time to, so... Yeah, forever grateful, Johan. No, oh. I said it before, and I, I still say it, and I, and I mean it. Because there's nothing quite like uh, the tall ship world, for good or for bad. It's def definitely very special. Yeah, absolutely. 
well, I'll never. Uh, so you were greatly appreciated on the ship because I remember one of the female sailors came up to me after I th- it might have been a day or two, but she's like, "Johan, thank you for bringing the eye candy." <laughs> <laughs> so she's, yeah. she you know, so you were reduced to eye candy but it was pretty funny um yeah this says sexy spaniard guy with us with an accent from an island you know it was just yeah. too much for them to handle <laughs> i'm always happy to bring a bit, a bit of the exotic <laughs> yeah that was a that was a fun time it was it was a fun cr- crazy time it was crazy on that boat oh my gosh it was so nuts yeah crazy crew but, you know i i still see people uh post and talk about the chieftain and the lady or the chieftain and this this yeah this, everybody that's passed through that boat and those those times specifically have uh yeah good well type two fun generally but there was a lot of type one a lot of type one fun as well wait type two type one uh, type well <laughs> somebody says that was type two fun you know i don't know i've never heard that expression oh, okay 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 so um Type two fun is when like uh, you look back and you think, oh, that was fun, ah. but you're not very sure at the time. But that was not <laughs> that was that was not it. Definitely, that was it was a lot of fun being there. Like the day to day was, I helped. I was I was new to the to the whole thing. I was volunteering, and it was it was great. Yeah, uh, getting to know so many people, very talented, some so different, and getting to see places, and learn about uh, tall ships. Yeah, it's crazy adventure well you you had the yeah. best quotes I, I remember in the quote book like there were there were a couple that just cracked me up like like you one time oh man like you were you you knocked on the door of the engine room <laughs> and, and, and something like that and, and like you open the door can i come in and and the engineer you know she she said i most likely will be dressed you don't have to knock <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was something like that. But then my favorite, my favorite quote of yours was because um, you're talking. You're, you're a, a so fo- just so folks know you're a biologist by trade. It's actually your your yeah, yeah. Your, your educational background. And so you were saying, you know, and I'm not going to do your accent any justice, but it was like it is a fine balance in Mother Nature between being flamboyant and being eaten. It's like, look at me, look at me, jump, <laughs> you know. And and then and then the punchline was, and that's what happened to the Spanish Armada. <laughs> it's such a good line i've got um so i have this uh uh, a dream of of writing like a uh, like a kind of like a family it'd have to probably be a cartoon but like some sort of a series and uh, i want to have a spanish captain be a main character and it's definitely gonna be you palayo and i'm definitely gonna have that line in there it's something like there'll be a a few funny funny one-liners from palayo for sure it's also such like a it's a good warning as well right Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah don't, don't everything in moderation. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that bell looks so well. It's so funny. I was I was helping. Um, so yesterday we, we have some friends that are sailing up. Uh, you know, we're we're in the kind of the Sound San Juan areas uh, of Washington, and so they were sailing up to towards our island. Or, or no, they they end up they went to. Um, well, ah, sorry, I'm not going to tell a long story. Long story short, I have some friends sailing on a boat. And they they decided to stay a couple nights at one of the marinas nearby, but then they they lost their reverse as they were trying to get off the dock, and they realized it wasn't clicking into reverse properly as as they were leaving. They couldn't get back in reverse, 
And so we happened to be driving, my wife and I, you know, she's a Marine technician. So we happened to be driving yeah. nearby. So we're like, oh, we'll just, we'll pop in. And so she went over and, you know, she's like crawling in this tiny hole of an engine space and doing all this stuff and, and fixing it. But meanwhile, I'm looking at the binnacle. I'm like, oh, it needs polishing. So I got my little boys and we started polishing the binnacle, <laughs> you know, oh. and in the meantime, of, of course, I'm, I'm adjusting the throttle, you know, to, for, for test purposes to, you know, as she's adjusting the cable that was attached to. So she's, she's fixing the actual problem, but I polished up that binnacle with the boys really well and got it nice and shiny. And so as they're leaving, it's like, okay, you're going to be fine now. We polished the binnacle. It's okay. <laughs> you're not going to have any more problems. I don't know what my wife did down there, but, but you're going to be just fine. <laughs> yeah. You're good to have. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, this, this, it's interesting as well. Like the, um, you mentioned that of your wife, who I got to meet, by the way, uh, going down and doing whatever she can to fix it, and it's a it's a very seaman sort of thing, right? When you see somebody, I mean, it's part of the international law as well as see that if there's anybody in distress, you are obliged to actually give help. Yeah. Without putting yourself in danger, but to give help, and that's and that's all very true. It's part of the nature and why I really love sailors, uh, sailors that you've encountered. And, People from the sea, they're always head over heels to try and help you. Whatever you do, you see, yeah, somebody having trouble in the harbor, and people are jumping. You likely those are also people who have sailed. It's quite incredible. Yeah, well, it's true. Gosh, I mean, well, even my, you know, my mom was there, and she commented. She's like, you know, it's it was because there was another friend that came by who had a bunch of tools. He showed up a, a little late. He showed up after the fix. But she's yeah. like, it's incredible to watch everybody just drop everything to go and, and help. Their, I mean, they're friends, sure. But but it's like she, she said, I just don't think everybody would do that. And I, I didn't even make the connection. I didn't even think about the law. You know, you're right, Palayo. I mean, I remember there was um, relatively recently, it was a few years ago, like the American Navy helped out. I forget which Iranian boat. It might have even been one of their their warships. I'm not sure, but they they some boat had drifted into the waters they weren't supposed to, and and the Navy rescued them or whatever. And I remember the Iranians kind of blowing it off, like, "Wow, it's just the law of the sea. You're just supposed to help people." But it's like uh, yeah. we didn't have to. Like, like it's there's you know there's a lot of yeah. noble stuff that like that that happens across cultures across countries across languages it's it's yeah. truly incredible and, and I, I, I guess you can boil it down to whenever there's people and humans in hardship situations they it, it is the the human thing uh, to help each other very common when it's in very tough environments right and the sea is such a tough environment where humans have been for well since the dawn of time i guess considering how how we know that <laughs> humans have arrived to uh, crazy places in the Indian Ocean, for example. Yeah. But yeah, I get a tough environment that's create for, for like a culture and a community that transcends um, nations and there's people just being people, but in a good way. And I guess that's really what I love about the sea. Yeah. Well, well, I think part of it is just you can categorize I mean, there are sailors and there are non-sailors, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like real simple. And there's a big thing, like, you know, you know, if you're with a sailor or if you're not with a sailor, I mean, it's crazy, but, um, I just feel like, yeah, if you've never been out at sea, if you've never been on a boat, if you haven't you know, spent nights on a ship, like, or with a crew, you're, you're just missing something. You don't even know what you're missing really. And you're not part of that community. Like, like. 
it's like the way humans categorize things. It's like, yeah, you can categorize it like, yeah, that's another sailor. I need to help them. And that just, that supersedes everything else. And I, yeah, there's no gatekeeping here for sure, but there is, there is a distinct, yeah. Understanding of what, yeah, of the type of experiences that definitely, definitely marks out the, the sea, no, no matter what, it never leaves you the same. Yeah. Yeah. There's always changes you somehow. A lot of the people, it gets shackled by it, and you know the sea ends up being their mistress. But others leave it, but they always carry a little bit of that. It has changed them, touched them in a certain, in some way. Yeah, that's great. Hundred percent agree. Man, well, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is great. Yeah, one of the fun things about doing the podcast too is like I've I've had fun just kind of brainstorming. Oh, yeah, Oh yeah, yeah. It's for podcasts, yeah. But uh, I know isn't that great? Like when you start chatting with an old shipmate, old friend, and you're just like, oh, you forget. Like, well, oh, we're, we're recording. Crap. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, the one of the neat things is just kind of thinking. Just there's so much variety out there. Like like I've had a you know I interviewed a surfer already. One of my old friends. Uh, I mean, I want to do the whale watching captains at some point. But yeah, I love it. Just the variety of of stories and and yet the also like we did kind of describe like there's an underlying you know the, the, just the theme you have like there's always the wind and the weather and and a lot of the oh, stories yeah. revolve around that and crew dynamics is like oh yeah this horrible thing you know with the crew and you know, it's just like it's really funny yeah i forgot now i can't remember if we played dungeon dragons on the ship or not i don't remember we, we did not we did not we did not okay okay and and when did you get into that a bit later, actually, yeah. Because I, I mean, I mean, I've always played video games and I love fantasy and stuff like that. But I never really got into Dungeons and Dragons until, yeah, a few years after that. Okay. So working at the here and somebody said, "Hey, you want to play?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." And uh, yeah, also become a part of my life. Yeah, that's so fun. Oh, it's so much fun. Well, I, I but I remember when you had your um, you, you, and I think yours was the first time we did this. Uh, since, since I done a couple times where we like red lighted, you know, one of the rooms and stuff, but it was on, yeah, it was on Chieftain and we had your, your evaluation in quotations and, ah, yeah. and we're just like, we, you know, we, me and the captain and I think it was just me and the captain. Like we looked at each other like, what do we say about Palio? <laughs> like, there's nothing to say. It's like, oh, stop being so pleasant all the time. Like, like, you know, it's just like, what, you know, what, what, what can you possibly say? You know, why are you so funny? You make the rest of us look relatively unfunny, but, you know, and so, so we decided to do like this funny little, you know, role play thing. So we, you know, blacked out the room and you called, you called me in. Yeah, like a yeah. yeah turn turn on the red lights. Had candles. It looked like a seance. You know, you came down like morose. Yeah, and you're like hello, hello. Like, you know, like Palio. <laughs> you know, we're we're hooded and like you know some cult seance. I, Pal- I guess this is how they do it every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Palayo, this is your evaluation of you. And then you suddenly got it and you came down and you like, you, you, you took one knee and bowed and then kind of said, who will you have me assassinate tonight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was great. It was a, it was a good uh, parting. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, but don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more sour nowadays and you know, uh, <laughs> I, I, the burden of having to of not being just the, free volunteer without uh, any worries but the, the now <laughs> <laughs> so now you said Draken they're still doing they're still doing maintenance what what are the plans for for the boat 
so Draken, so it's been in the US for a couple of years, right? Because we crossed and then we did another season in the East Coast, up on the East Coast. And we wanted to do another season and then Corona happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, but now we're trying to restart that plan. And that plan is actually the West Coast. Cool. Yes. Uh, question is, how do we get Draken to the West Coast? And there's certain ways to do it. One, sail it there. But it's that's kind of uh, not a waste of time because the Caribbean is definitely never a waste of time. <laughs> and I would very much like to go to the Caribbean with Draken. But, you know, you got to do the, um, all of the coast of the U.S. and the Caribbean, then go to, go into Panama. And then you have to sail up against the wind into, no, that's not going to work. So we're getting Draken to hopefully to Vancouver or Seattle. And the idea was to put her on a ship carrying ship. This is mega ships that carry ships, right? Yeah. They usually do it with yachts and other such things. Yeah. Or carry small ferries or whatever. But this talk, um, putting it out on the internet, it's not very wise, but uh, of uh, trains or trailers across Canada. Wow. Well, just be very yeah. careful. And, and definitely, yeah. I would relay this message to to your higher ups because you know if you do choose to do the 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 yachts on the the, the ships, um, just I mean it should be fine. Just just remember, sometimes people aren't used to dealing with wooden boats, um, and oh, I, okay. I think Draken will be fine. But like for example, we were getting hauled out at a shipyard. It was the AJ Mirwald, and AJ Mirwald she has these. I mean they're almost like bumpers, really. The uh, what the hell do they call them? Oh my gosh, I'm blanking. But basically, it's a it's a, a plank that runs outside the hull. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't. This is so embarrassing. The, it's a rub rail. It's a rub rail, but but like a big rub rail. I forget they had a different name for it. Anyway, this big rub rail rail runs. But pardon? It's a rail for rubbing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's designed to be a, a piece that's sacrificial. So like if. If the boat takes a big impact on the side, that rail will get shattered and destroyed, but the planking and the frames that support the planking won't won't be damaged. So it, it's logical. And plus, you want to wear out the outside, you know, that part of the ship. You don't want to wear out the the hull planking. So makes perfect sense. But when we went to haul it out, the the ship, the people doing it, they were used to yachts or used to other things, and so they didn't account for this rub rail and just shattered it essentially. Just just pulled it right up and off. As the as the slings took the weight of the ship, and and so when that happened, they're like, I, I forget what happened, but there was, oh yeah, there's a way to because you know, I spoke to some shipwrights and they're like, oh yeah, there's a way to pull the ship out without damaging the rub rail. You just put a few braces in, and it's it's easy, it's really yeah. easy. But if you don't know that, you know, you're gonna break your boat. So I guess I guess that'd be my only word of caution is just make sure whoever's doing it, they might be an expert at, at mega yachts, they might be an expert with fiberglass. Just make sure they also yeah, this is, are. This is quite co- this is quite common, and in fact, um, yeah, we've hauled out dragon several ways uh-huh. um, on a, on a sling, for example, and it's not very great dragon on a sling because it's just a light construction, but the compressive forces of a sling alone is with ballast on. It's very worry worrisome. We had to to the haul out in Maine because we had a problem with the engine, and yeah, that, that was a, a big concern, right? Um, getting dragon out. Yeah. Like that, and sit in a... Well, and your ballast is stone, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they're big stones, if I remember. Like you're, you're gonna. Yeah, but it, it takes it takes the crew maybe half a day to get them out, actually. 
it's a lot more involved, but like the actual getting yeah. rid of the ballast, there's a lot of stowage though. Yeah. We do it for maintenance. We take them out, we clean them, and put them back in. That's what we're doing in May, one of the things, one of the tasks. We have it pat down. But uh, yeah, exactly. When when wooden boats in under shipping areas, and it's just, yeah, it's a recipe for disaster. And it can happen very fast and very quick. <laughs> for sure, if they don't know what they're doing. And the same, because if you put, put it on a train or on a, on a trailer, and then you go in through the, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that can go wrong. The compressor break or even the even the, the changing fast changing conditions from a dry climate to a wet climate can affect affect a lot. So yeah, and even when you're moving it on slings, not everything stays the same. There's a little bit of movement, a little bit of chafe. Uh, so you'll be taking in more water, that kind of stuff. Likely. Yeah. 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 Well, I hope you, I hope you guys are able to do it. And if if you come out here, let me know. I'll, I'll well, that's a, yeah, that's the thing. So Seattle and uh, and Vancouver area. Just talk about the race to Alaska, maybe. Oh wow. Who knows? Uh, but they also talk a lot about California because uh, Bjorn, the captain and the CEO, they've been down there to scout out, and they a lot of the harbors really wanted to to us to come. So that's still in the talks so if california is going to be uh, yeah at the beginning they were talking about starting in california and then going north and i remembered being in the hawaiian chieftain with you trying to go up the coast of california and i said no draken is not doing that draken <laughs> will with this break because we're mo- just motoring up uh, upwind so often right so yeah like no guys do the opposite around with the with the winds yep exactly so i don't know if we'll I don't know if California is the next year or is more in the future or what. But for me, the important part is that if we get there, which I look very much forward to the West Coast, revisiting. Yeah. California, I've sort of seen already. Thank you, Johan. Uh, <laughs> but Oregon, Washington, and uh, you know the North, which I never saw. That's I really want to see. But also, we'll be in the Pacific. Yeah. You know, what I want to do in Draken, what I think Draken is really, really meant to do, is to go to Japan. We need to cross the Pacific Ocean. Because the Vikings totally did that, didn't they? <laughs> in, the, in the words of the cameraman, Pedro said, yeah, 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 you know, Atlantic, that's kind of boring. They did that already. The Vikings were out, turning up when nobody expected them. It's right. You know, it's like, totally, let's, let's do something completely out of the box. Completely, wow. nobody really thinks uh, that they do. Because, yeah, people did that a thousand years ago, and that's cool. Let's do something that hasn't been done. Uh, Japan would be pretty amazing. That'd be that'd be something. Wow. Yeah, I mean, different challenges, right? Because in the North Atlantic, we had short uh, transits, so six, four to six days, seven a maximum. Crazy, crazy weather. The cold was terrible, and we were seeing 55 plus knots, 58, 16 gusts, and I was uh, sort of icebergs and growlers and, you know, truly out there conditions. But the Pacific offers different kind of challenges you know you're looking at no such a vast body of water i've never done it as well so i really want to yeah uh, yeah lack of water lack of food lack of uh lack the isolation if you have any problem you're on your own 100 mm-hmm. percent sounds great <laughs> yeah <Are> you in? <laughs> no it's 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 wild well, and even even the coast too. That you've been on the east coast so long, and like yeah. you know, granted, nothing's more rugged 
in my opinion, than the Norwegian fjords. Oh my God, they're they're oh, so. Yeah, they are epic, absolutely epic. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that way, absolutely. But that said, the West Coast is surprisingly rugged. Like, it's it's surprisingly sparsely populated and, and rugged, the West Coast of the U.S., yeah. a, a lot more than people think. Because I think most people fly into L.A. and San Francisco, and they're like, oh, yeah, there's lots of houses here. Like, once you're north of San I mean, gosh, even north of L.A., you'd be surprised. Like, even, even on these big cities, you know, you got Santa Barbara, you have, like – I don't know. There's not a ton there. And then you get north of San Francisco and it's – there's just not a lot on the coastline no. at all. In just fact, mountains. That is one of the challenges for us, the West Coast, because there really isn't – I was talking to Corey. Yeah, and she's, she's been a captain and an officer in many ships and she knows those coasts very well. Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, she's in Oregon. There's like very few places to put in, and yep. when there's bad weather, they're closed. And it's like that's a lot of coast, and it's like it's a problem for Draken. Yeah, other ships it's probably more okay, but Draken is yeah. yeah. I mean, well, you, you just have to time. Gosh, it almost sounds like I should be put in touch with uh, some of the folks planning yeah, absolutely. this. Absolutely, you are a wealth of knowledge, and yeah. that's one of the things. The moment the moment this comes a little further, you're one of the people uh, we're gonna come to asking for for advice and such. And, all right. Well, I'll give it where, when I when and where I can. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be spicy. Love it. The problem is schedule. If there's no schedule, then everything is doable. The moment there's a schedule on boats, oh. <laughs> schedules and weather don't mix. Yeah. Well, or it's got to mix properly. So I mean, you, you know, you'd want to spend your summer <clears throat> just do what the lady and chieftain did because that was a pretty tried and true. Uh, that was a pretty tried and true. Uh, what's the word? Not format. Uh, blah blah blah. What's the word? It's uh. Yeah, modus operandi, but in English. Thing. Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> My brains. <laughs> uh, but it's uh. Oh gosh, now I'm like. Oh, anyway, but but it's it's something that they've done enough. It's it's definitely tried and true. Where you you spend your summer up in the northwest, and then you sail downwind. You know, follow the coastline down, get to California, where it's you know you can spend the winter and it's not as bad. So. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, and lady and the chieftain, they were very, they're very special because they're some of the few boats, tall ships that have non and some of their problems come from this. I guess is because they don't stop; they're continuously going. Yeah, continuously going, and that's a lot of the wear and tear on the boat and <laughs> on the crew comes from from that, right? They they don't have an off season and an on season. Dragon does. Yeah, Dragon does have the on season and such, so we can pick and choose a little bit better. But uh, yeah, Pacific, I I still remember going northwards with uh, towards San Francisco from because I joined at the bottom at the south of California and we went we were going north. Those seas are yeah without when the, the wind wasn't right. It's just Draken needs to have sailing conditions. She can't yeah. power through. She can't use her engines to power through weather. She will break. Okay. She could do it with wind. Like she's really good with wind until until there'll be storms and she takes that no problem. But the engines is the recipe for disaster for Dragon. Yeah. She's so light. Well good. Well, I mean, it's important to know your vessel's limitations. That's really, really yeah. important. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that. So all right, well, Palayo. Well, gosh, it's been it's terrific talking to you. It's been really great. Uh, uh, I really, really hope you make it out to the West Coast so that we can hang out again and maybe sail some absolutely. more. 
or at least yeah. he can you know play Dungeon Dragons or something. You know. Oh yeah, I'll take some time off and come back and see you. In fact, if I go to the West Coast to sail, I'm taking some time off to hike and see people. And nice. Stuff. Very good. Yeah. Well, I have one last request, and this is this uh-huh. is from all the ladies out there listening to this podcast. Uh, one last request: can can you do the line from Princess Bride, please? <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a recording somewhere. Joel has a recording of that somewhere. <laughs> he threatens me uh, with it from time to time. <laughs> Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> oh, all right, Palai. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me, folks. Uh, yeah, me. Pardon? Thanks for having me. It's always really cool to catch up, John. Yeah, yeah. Well, folks, check out the Draken. Uh, you can find it's D R A K E N. Uh, I'm assuming people type. What, 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 how would they get a hold of the ship or the website or? Well, uh, the, the the ship is called Draken Harald Horfagre, which is oh, oh great. Both the Draken. If you type Viking ship, you'll get it. And it's um, the Facebook is of course um, yeah one way of connecting with Draken. Uh, and being up to date as a website as well. Um, but the Facebook is the thing that is really well working the most. And okay. We have some new content from now in May when we were there and we're doing interviews with the captain and with the crew. And um, also this talk about um, producing a lot of the footage of 2016 into uh, a proper, proper series, actually. So that bodes very well. But yeah, we'll hopefully be in the West Coast and uh, we'll see what we do. It's going to be exciting. We never know with Draken. It turns up we're, we're a bit, it's a bit always of an X factor. I guess that's why it's also so popular. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, Palaio. Thank you. Thank you, folks, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. Support the podcast if you can. Go find your local tall ship. If you have one nearby, check it out. Check out maritime museums, local yacht clubs, all that. And uh, if you see a sailor in need and have any skills that can help them, please help your fellow mariners. Anyway, thanks. Always throw a line. Yep. (laughs) All right, Palayo. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, wishing everybody out there fair winds and a following sea. 